This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, it's Monday and you're thinking of preparing for a long work week. I get all of that. Well, you know, we have the answer for that like we do every Monday because we're lucky to be joined on what we call Mental Mondays with our friend Dr. Rick Pree of thinkone4u.org. That's think one four. That's the number u.org. Or we get our checkup from the neck up with Dr. Rick. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's beautiful weather out there. I dressed for fall, and it's yes. actually summer out there. It, it really is. So, you know, but I'll be good. I'm good. It's you know, good. just warm. And but... you've got, appropriately enough, yeah, you... as the uh, World Champions open tomorrow night yeah. against the Lakers, you've got uh, Nuggets paraphernalia on. Uh, it's like your Danny Bailey over here, who I think now, uh, now at this point, Danny, I think only owns Denver Nuggets clothing. Yeah, well, this was... Well, he had his this, hat with him the other day. Was yeah. it Friday? You had your hat? I think that's, I think for, that's it. For the those, Maxi Minor hat? For, for those of you that can't see me, I'm wearing team-issued Denver Nuggets shirt. This is yes. not bought like after the championship. This was given. Well, no, no, this I was given that. to me when I when I worked for him. So yeah, it's, it's got a few miles on. Looks it's, comfy and warm. It's the official uh, Denver Nuggets staff uh, wear. Let's well, go with before that. Before we get to to them, and maybe we'll touch on them a little bit because Absolutely. they have a you know a game of some import sure. uh, tomorrow. But the Denver Broncos do get a win. Uh, they for the fourth time in four home games, yeah. have a halftime lead, cough up the lead. For the first time of the year, though, they actually held on to win it. Wanted to let you hear this. Following the game, an exchange uh, between reporter Troy Rank, Palaverse here, and uh, you can check out his podcast right here at MileHighSports.com, talked with Sean Payton about the Broncos' NFL record, mind you, of losing, I mean, think about it, it's almost impossible, 10 straight games in which you had the halftime lead. Here was the exchange. This team, Coach, had a weird stat where they had blown 10 halftime leads. Only three of those. So, your team, the Broncos, had had 10 straight halftime leads. Blown well, my team three hasn't this blown year. 10 straight. Right, three this year. But how much does well, you it You said mean? your team. Uh, so the, let's start and the, say the, the Denver Broncos, Broncos had, historically. Yeah, yeah. Broncos I don't pay attention to that. Had blown that. I don't pay attention to that. How much does it mean? I don't to, pay attention to it. To, no, to see you get over the hump in the second half. It wasn't our hump. It wasn't our hump. I'm saying that respectfully. It wasn't our hump. Um, we're trying to win. Pat mentioned it to me, and I th- thought it was one of these, like, all right, what next? I mean, meaning in New Orleans, you know, we hadn't won a playoff game on the road. Or, you know, all the – it's like, you know, the good teams don't have those issues. The teams that aren't as good have halftime, whatever. Um, but that that's, – that's, that's not – your team would not be the right word for it. So, with, um, anything else? Well, Sean Payton's team – Sean Payton's version of the Denver Broncos, Denver Broncos right. history, apparently not important prior to that. Napoleon-esque. But the idea that they have lost three in a row, right. in which they had a halftime lead, All uh, still pretty fair to ask yeah. if they've gotten over the hump. But what and did they, you make of that exchange? they blew the lead yesterday. Yeah. yeah. They didn't blow the game, but they blew the lead. What right. did you and make of that? happened in every home game this year. Exchange, when you think of that, uh, obviously, you know, didn't even want to hear the rest of the question. Right. Even though Troy specifically said, three of those yours. Said, you yes. know, tend three of those yours and, and completely shut it down. You know, what, what do you kind of make when you, you see someone sort of agitated by that kind of question? Well, correct me. Is 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 Patrick Smythe still the uh, PR yes, guy with that's, the Broncos? Uh, well, he's okay. actually he's referring to. Even up a couple, yeah. yeah. Okay, but, but I remember when I was working for the Broncos, Patrick Smythe was pretty good about staying on people about – you know, let's be let's be appropriate to the media. Let's let's talk with respect to the media. I just wonder if he's going to Sean and saying anything to him because that was that was an utter lack of respect 
for the media, one. Um, but it also speaks to the psychology of Sean's insecurity. Yes. You know, when you cannot stand – I mean, you know, hey, $19 million a year, what's he getting paid? 18 $18 million plus. a year plus. Yeah. You know, this comes with the, this comes with the lay of the land, buddy. Get ready. You're going to have to answer questions. And you know what? Secure people answer questions succinctly, and they come from a knowledge base, from a competency base. What you can say is tell them the truth. Yeah, we. I'm part of the Broncos team, and I'm part of that legacy now, and we're we have to be responsible for that. But you don't have to get defensive the way you did. Not even let Troy finish his question. <laughs> I mean, that's dis- that's very disrespectful. And you know what, Sean? I- I'm I'm saying this to you if you if this word gets to you. This stuff will come back and haunt you. You can't disrespect people just because you think you're in a more um, a powerful seat. Great leaders, great leaders reach people where they're at. So when you're communicating to the media, to the press, anyone, you reach them where they're at. And if they have a question for you, an honest question, answer it in a succinct, very sequential way, the way they would like it to be answered. The disrespect there is just really stands out to me. And like we've said before here, ex-players... Even as he feels the need to say no disrespect. Yeah, no disrespect, but let me disrespect intended, you. But I mean, I'll disrespect you. You know, when, it reminds me of, we used to say this in football, you know, someone will say, well, I'm not scared of you. Guess what? They're scared yeah. of you, okay? Right. When you say no disrespect... Right. He's he's getting That's ready all to, you're conveying. He's getting ready disrespect. to disrespect you. And so the insecurity piece there psychologically, and I can see it. You guys can see it. You guys have been around this game a long time. You've been around a lot of these coaches. He's not he's not authentic. He's not core authentic. And what it really comes down to, guys, is he's not displaying a level of leadership that I would want. If I'm an owner of this team, if I'm a GM or an EVP, executive vice president, he is not deploying the leadership that I would want to be. Does he want his players cutting off the media that way because they can't answer the question? Does he want his 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 coordinators doing that, his position coaches? Model the behavior you want. And I'm telling you what, man, it, this is this to me is not good. It's not good because there are people, there are now people that are starting to talk about future positions in Denver, future GMs, future EVPs. Yes, and um, and they look at this guy. Yeah, they don't want any part of. Him. Yeah, I mean, you know, Russell Wilson. I, I, you know, believe it or not, they've moved on for him. They will next yeah. year, and you'll see oh, that. Yes. Oh yeah, but but it's going to happen with uh, George Payton too. And so who's going to ever yes. be in that position? Yes. They can make decisions as well. And I hope Sean just remembers that. Yes. It, it did feel as if that maybe that's that's even a simple answer. I mean, I was thinking about that myself. Like, yeah. how would I answer that? I would say, well, we haven't been responsible for all 10, but as you pointed out, we were responsible for three. Yeah. And it yeah. feels really good to get over that hump, and I like that our team's making progress. Right. Boom. And it yeah. basically his question Done. was, what was different about today even though you did blow the lead, you didn't blow the game, right. what was different? And that's that an opportunity it, to talk your players up and right. say, we talk didn't cave, we didn't, we didn't right. cave. Yeah. We got behind, we got a player thrown out who apparently they think is of some value, although I don't see the value. And let's get to that before we go any further. What would you tell Kareem Jackson, who's now been suspended for four games? He's going to appeal, but he's going to lose. Right. He's that, that suspension they may reduce will reduce it. But I, I they may not it. either. I don't see it. Not not from what Runyon said <laughs> in that statement. They're not going to reduce it at all. But whatever. What would you tell Kareem Jackson so that he stops hitting people in the head? 
Well, you mean if he's a client of mine? Yeah. Well, what do you tell him? If I'm working with him one-on-one, I'm going to go back to, again, let's go back to insecurity. What is it that's propelling you to hit people in this manner? You know, tackling has really suffered, as you guys know, in the last five, seven, ten years because the the lack of hitting, the lack of practice, um, wrapping up, you know, we call it thud. Um, But we don't take people to the ground. It, It reminded me, my son the other day, he plays defensive end at Cherry Creek, and one of the offensive tackles that was playing against him at Arapahoe High School said, you know, your son would have five more sacks already if he would finish. And I said, well, they pra- when they practice, they go three steps and they stop. Three steps and they stop. And I said, and I'm not blaming that, but in p- the way that NFL teams practice, they don't tackle anymore. No. They don't wrap up anymore. And Kareem Jackson hits people. He doesn't tackle people. And when you hit someone without bringing your arms and wrapping up, grabbing cloth, as we call it, then you are a projectile. And you have a responsibility. Those, you know, again, you're playing against an opposition, but there's about 1,600 NFL players out there. That's that's a fraternity. And if you go out there hitting people the way he's hitting people, then what is it about your insecurity that feels that you think that's cool or you think that's great? You can get him down. You can tackle him. You can tackle him hard. Knock the you-know-what out of him. That's fine, but do it in a very um, wrapping-up technique with your tackling the proper way. Not projecting out, you know, not throwing your body at people. And, I, I mean, that kid from Green Bay, his head snapped back. He, I, I, we're fortunate he really didn't get hurt. Well, he was concussed, though. He's in protocol. Well, I know, but I mean really yeah. hurt. Yeah, oh, I understand. I mean really hurt. I mean, we know what's happened in the past with with, with George Atkinson and yeah. Jack yeah. Tatum and those yeah. kind of guys. Yeah. We can't glorify that type of hitting either. We have to use technique that's been taught, been taught over and over again, and we have to at least one day a week have one tackling drill so we can, can have some semblance of still how to tackle with wrapping up and grabbing cloth. But what I would tell him is I said he would need to go back to the drawing board. It's not funny. It's not cool. How would he like someone to hit his son like that in football? Has that has that changed a little bit because as, as players maybe stayed in college longer too, there was more incentive for college coaches to teach those techniques because at the high school level, sometimes you can just be a tremendous athlete and knock guys down. But at the college level, when the guys, guys were staying maybe a little bit longer, not leaving after a sophomore year, there was more incentive for coaches to be like, hey, I'm going to have these guys for three, four years. I need, I need to make sure their techniques are sound. Because it feels like what you're pointing out there is exactly the, the, the issue, that not a lot of technique is being taught. Right. And when are they going to be taught that? Because a lot of the times the NFL guys were such tremendous athletes sure. that it was effortless in high school. Yeah. So they don't need to worry about that. When you go to college, now if you're so good, you're in and out in two years, and a coach is kind of worried about coaching other guys he's going to have for longer. So how does the NFL sort of fix this problem? Well, I mean, the NFL is notorious for not teaching technique. I mean, it's been going on since... Yeah, they assume you're a finished product when it comes to tackling. Exactly, exactly. What I I was astonished when I got to camp with the Broncos in 83. Yeah, in the 80s, right. And and I love Merle Moore, our linebacker. Yes. And I love Joe Collier. But we didn't learn. We didn't do a lot of technique. We they assumed you knew that um, shedding, shedding blocks. We didn't do a lot of technique work. So they assume you're a finished product. But the way the NFL's got it, we can't glorify this. You know, in film sessions, I've sit, I've sat in film sessions, and the oohs and the ahs, and you know, everybody's glorifying this hitting. We, I, I, I trust me, I love a solid hit. I love just taking. I play defense. 
love taking somebody down. But I think it's different than to just launch yourself at people who are in the air, elongated, trying to catch a ball. I just don't think that's showing respect for the sport itself. And so the only way that it's going to be fixed is the NFL has to come down hard. Don't reduce the four game. You know, don't reduce the four game suspension. Hold him to it. Hold them accountable, and they need to start doing that all over the place. And then in the offseason, let them know, here's what, here's the way we're going to tackle this. You guys start tackling this way. Stop throwing your head. Stop throwing your shoulders into people because it's not – although Roger Goodell is probably in the corner kind of snickering because he knows it brings more viewership when you see these violent hits. Research shows that. Research shows that. But we've got to understand for teams with other teams, we got to protect each other. And Kareem needs to understand that's not that's not appealing, man. Again, think of it this way, Kareem. Would you want someone hitting your son right. that way? Right. Um, I'm going to ask you about uh, Jared Bednar, the coach of the Avalanche. And I know you haven't done any formal uh, work with the Avs. But after a winning game, and Sean Payton was, after all, speaking after a winning game yesterday, and right. still got defensive, still got testy, and uh, obviously demonstrated a, a – degree of insecurity uh, Jared Bednar changed up his line combinations and actually split up his two best players uh, up front anyway yeah uh, in Nathan McKinnon and Miko Renton the other night and he was asked about it after the game which they won six to four and in which once they were split up the guys actually played better than they had played yeah while they were together and he said, well, I did it because they weren't making any plays. Mm-hmm. And he didn't say it in a snide way or anything, just very matter of fact. Yeah. And, you know, next game, we'll probably put them back together again. Yeah. But just tonight, reading the game, in the middle of the game, they were losing 3-2. to two, And he said, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to move two guys up from the second line to the top line. And I'm going to move the two wingers on the top line down to the second line. Yeah. And they all play better. Yeah. That's leadership. That's the leadership. That, that's the ability to say, you know, most people may question this strategy or this scheme because I'm separating two of my top players, but I'm willing to do it because I'm willing to see what the di- how that changes the dynamics. And that's what great leaders do is they're willing to take on responsibility and accountability. And that's what I don't see in Sean Payton. Sean Payton seems really quick to point fingers, really quick to want to blame someone else right. as opposed to taking accountability. And, you know, the Avalanche, I think, have, you know, their head coach, Bednar, he really exudes leadership. You said formal work, and I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, I was once at, I was at a golf tournament recently, and, and I met him and met some of the players. And so we'll he, see, he's terrific. He is terrific. You know, he, he's, he's not arrogant. He looks you in the eye. Yeah. He communicates very clearly. <laughs> and yeah. that's different than a lot of guys we have in this town. Um, well, really, one guy specifically. Yes, one guy. Because I love my bro- my brother Michael over there with the Nuggets. But yeah, yeah this one this one person, I, I think what we're seeing with Sean Payton is just a lack of leadership in a tough, challenging situation. Anybody can lead when you're a front runner. The great leaders are able to lead even when when live bullets are flying, and they can navigate and maneuver their way with communication and leadership to be able to make tough decisions. 
The let's turn our attention to the Nuggets real yeah. quick before before we go because the Nuggets will be receiving their uh, their rings. The banner will go up tomorrow. They will do it in front of the Lakers team that they swept, and it has clearly been a burr under the Lakers saddle all yeah. off season. In fact, it didn't even take a off season. It was like you know one night before LeBron started trying to steal the thunder and rumble about retirement that he was never going to have. But for the Nuggets, it, it, how hard is it to look at this particular game or even the beginning of the season? And maybe put too much value on it, or do you worry about maybe they put too little value on it because you feel either over, uh, you feel you've accomplished it, and so yeah. you kind of relax, or you feel wow, the Lakers are in, this is, you know, the, the world's watching, we got to come out and play great. How do you think the team responds? And for the first, let's say, half dozen games, depending on the way they play, what would we be able to read into that? Well, first of all, I want to know: Do I get a ring because I contributed to Michael's? You are yeah. asking the wrong two men. <laughs> I, I want one of those world championship rings because we um, won't get them, nor I, will we ask for them. I, I've contributed to uh, Michael right. Malone's yeah. development over the years, That's right. yeah. so I'm going to take credit for that. But, no, I think that what's going to happen, it'll be really interesting to see. I don't know, and that's the psychology of this is we'll see how they respond. I think it's really easy when you see a banner going up, rings going up. It builds your belief system, your self-efficacy, like that's who we are. But it also can do go the other way. It can make you full of yourself too. So I know a lot of players – I know there's two players on that team I know how they respond because I've worked with them directly. The rest of them I've never worked with directly. Yeah. But I do know Michael, and Michael will hold people accountable. And he's done it in the past, and now he has on his resume a world championship, so he's going to be able to get away with a lot of structure and accountability he wasn't before. In fact, that's why the Nuggets hired me at first, was to help reel, reel in this, this yeah. young rogue guy who yeah. couldn't you know, couldn't get away with saying that. He can get away saying that now because yeah. he has that on his resume. Right. So I, th- I expect him to respond well. I think the first 6 to 12 games – we will find out, and I would not hit the panic button if they're 500 or a little above 500 in these first 10 to 12 games. Right. I think there is a hangover. I think the Joker said it well. I mean, their summer was short, yes, you know, because of this long shorter than run. anybody's shorter, because yeah. Miami doesn't open until Wednesday. There you go. So it's 134 <laughs> days, and no yeah. one had as short an off season as the Nuggets did. I, I wanted to ask you about Murray specifically, yeah, because <laughs> Murray's not saying this. I want to very clear about that but there is an idea out there that the way murray plays in the playoffs he needs to do that during the regular season be that guy so he can be an all-star so he can be all nba right at the end of the season now playoff murray last year averaged 26.1 points per game Averaged more than seven assists, almost six rebounds, and made more than 39.5% of his three-point shots. Is it important to get that guy into this regular season, or does it really matter that much whether he's an all-star or all-NBA or not? Because those are regular season. Yeah, I think it's very important that he gets off and plays to that level throughout the whole season. At least gives his, we have the EEA, effort, energy, and attitude. Because if he doesn't, he becomes more situational. And then players will look at him and say, oh, well, he shows up in the playoffs or he shows up in the last quadrant of the season, and that's when he turns it on. We don't, we do not want that kind of model. He's one of the top three players on this team, and you want him to be able to model a level of, 
performance. We have we have a, a, a performance model that's called form, storm, norm, and perform. And what that essentially means is you progress through the season and you're playing your best basketball, best football, best tennis. Which, which he seems to be able which, to do. Which he's yeah. done. Certainly, but, yeah. But at the same time, just because you're storming and norming doesn't mean you're not giving your full effort, your full energy, and your full attitude. So I think he needs to set the record straight once and for all. He's passed his injuries. Let's go. Let's let's be a great leader, first of all. Yes. Let's be a great yeah. communicator. Lift up your teammates. But be the performer you are in the playoffs all season long. I'm not saying you have to score 26 no, points a no, game. No, no, Every the game. stats aren't important. Right. But, 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 but you, you be, get to that all-star yes. level. Yes. And it's 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 tough. And that's it's tough. There are a lot of great guards. And that means defense too. That means exhibit that yep. that type of yep. defense intensity yep. right. that you can help lead this organization. Because it's gonna be tougher than people think to repeat. I'm gonna tell you, there's a target on their back now. Yep. They're they're not gonna get they're not they're gonna get everyone's best. And but I think they have a chance. I think they have a chance to repeat. Yep. But it's, I don't think it's going to be – not that last year was easy because it was not, but it's not going to be as easy of a road for him this year. And we'll really find out what Jamal Murray's really yeah. all about this season because he starts fresh, no starts injury, fresh. and let's see right. what he got. Exactly right. He is Dr. Rick Brea. Make sure you check out the website, think14u.org. That's think one, the number four, u.org. And uh, make sure you catch him here every Monday for our uh, checkup from the neck up. Always a treat and educational as well. And then, I mean, I'm fired up now. Fired up for the week. Let's do it. Just good. All That's right, good. guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much. <laughs> Dr. Rick Perea joining us. When we come back, we'll look at the Denver Broncos, whose defense seems to be improving. The numbers look like it, at least. Or is it more the competition or is it more the players? What's the difference? We'll talk about it. My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Yeah, when you when you have two on it in the end zone, your feet down, that I think we're going to see that that um, was something maybe that should have been called the other way. Um, we kind of all grow up with the idea of, you know, tie goes to and then well, who wrestles it out of the arms. But um, but if you, you have two clean hands on it when you land in the end zone, um, I was a little surprised. That was Sean Payton following the game, talking about uh, Pat Sertan sort of uh, wrestled non-interception. And by the way, for the record, I, I also think it's important to, to Listen to what he said there because he said he was a little surprised, but he also said, I think that in the future we'll see we'll see that because he was talking about it. Here's what the uh, the crew said afterward, Alex Kemp uh, in the, to the pool reporters after the game. Uh, the confusion started because Gene Steratore, at least to audiences on the broadcast, Gene Steratore, yeah, said that, he, he did. Said that he if, said, if the first two feet down count, right? Well, the current official. Alex Kemp disagreed. He said, specifically, we ruled on the field that the Green Bay receiver controlled the ball while airborne, came to the ground, and never lost control of the ball. And therefore, by rule, it's a touchdown. 
was asked specifically, so the matter of whose feet hit the ground first doesn't figure the scenario. Quote, no, that does not. And that is consistent with catches. If, you know, you they believe that you have the ball under control, and I get it, that's sort of a judgment call when guys are wrestling. But if, if it's a catch, if the person is catching it and they hit the ground, it's not about who hits the ground first. If they believe one person had possession and the other is kind of wrestling for it, then they land legally, then it's a catch. So... Uh, the, the referees have a lot of lead, uh, have a lot of ground to stand on there, pun not intended. And I think Sean Payton got that because he wasn't militant about it. And I think he said in the future, which is kind of the hint that, hey, um, like many things in the NFL from year to year, we don't know what a catch is. We don't know what an interception is. Maybe some clarification would be handy. But in the end, sort of a, I mean, you had that in the end zone. You had the deflected tip directly to the Green Bay uh, from Dobbs, uh, lands a teammate's arm for a touchdown. Not a banner weekend for NFL officials on the on the whole, but I think people are maybe upset at that one. Um, that had more to do with a kind of quick reaction more from the broadcast team, yeah. which, by the way, well, Saratory is part of now. Saratory's a broadcaster team. now, and he's not a current official there to protect colleagues. Right. One-time colleagues. Correct. He's there as a journalist, and he understands the difference. I have a lot of respect for him. Actually, Terry McCauley's good, too. I, I think all these former officials, yeah. all outstanding officials, who are now doing broadcasts, they, don't always they aren't it. afraid mm-hmm. to criticize. And listen, um, I, I, I'm not aware one way or the other about two feet down first. Uh, The control issues have always been a mystery to me. I think it's kind of arbitrary. It basically is. But I admire Serator for basically saying, uh, I disagree with that. Uh, And, you know, it wasn't a big thing. He wasn't. And and probably the right play for Satan was just knock the ball down, which he had a chance to do, and that was probably the way to go. But human nature, you think you can get the ball, you're going to – Yeah, I I guess. I guess. I guess. I'm still – I'm a little puzzled because I do watch – you know, and yesterday wasn't a great defensive example for the Cleveland Browns, but the Cleveland Browns are giving up 200 yards a game on average this year, including the game yesterday, the next closest team is Baltimore at 260. Cleveland might just ride that defense and a and league average warm body at quarterback to the playoffs. You know what? <laughs> They're at least that probably defense more. is scary. There are at least three cornerbacks in the NFL who are just playing a lot better than Patrick Sutan this year. And I say at least three. There are probably more than three. But the three that come to mind are Darius Slay, who made a huge play last night for Philadelphia. Uh, Denzel Ward, who I think has been the best cover corner in football. Do you remember when when everyone made fun of the Cleveland Browns? I mean, not just here. Not just here. Across the whole field together last night. Yep. Who did you notice more? Across the whole country, the whole NFL landscape, because everyone, you know, Baker Mayfield, you had Sam Darnold, and yet. They weren't on the field together, but they were. They both played yesterday. And throughout the season, that was Mayfield, Saquon, Darnold, Ward, Chubb. Yeah. And, 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 uh, Mayfield at the time was, you know, 
it was kind of a Mayfield or Darnold kind of pick, but everyone knew they'd pick a quarterback. Everyone knew the team picking third was going to pick the other one. Uh, Saquon Barkley was always going to go second. That was considered a no-brainer. But everyone couldn't stop tripping them, uh, themselves over rushing to criticize for the Browns the draft. for picking Denzel At Ward, any position who, was by the way, they thought. quite frankly, I would even say go look at their rookie seasons. Denzel Ward is by and large, always been the better player than Bradley Chubb. Well, yeah, the first, maybe, the first year Chubb, I think, had it incrementally. But I mean, the Denzel only, Ward's been extraordinary. The only criticism you'd ever—it's not even a criticism—observation you'd make about Denzel Ward is that he's been hurt a lot. Yeah, but boy, can he play when he's out there? Well, can he it's not play? A criticism and he's a much better. Uh, uh, defensive player than Chubb. He makes more plays. He's more disruptive. He's just a better player. And Sauce Gardner would be the third. But in any case. Does this defense, Sandy, they've now allowed 19 points per game over the last three. And one of those, you know, there's a couple ways to look at it. Uh, one of those includes, you know, the Chiefs. Yeah. Now the other two don't. Uh, not particularly murderer's row. But the, the argument had been that the play, play calls have been simplified. Now, they had they had to blow two timeouts because of substitutions, which saw Sean Payton ball uh, Vance, Vance Joseph, Joseph uh, out a little Probably bit. Probably rightly so. But <laughs> uh, does this defense look better to you, or is it uh, just a, a bit of the competition? And if it does look better, again, the one person who seems to have come back and made the difference, at least in the last two games, is Justin Simmons. Right. That would be my answer. The last two weeks, they've had Justin Simmons. And in several games before that, including the Miami disaster, they did not have Justin Simmons. Um, Yes, you can't trade Justin Simmons then, because holy moly. Does he make them a good defensive team uh, as opposed to an awful league worst, historically bad defensive team? No, but... They're better, clearly better, with someone back there who knows what he's doing. And, you know, I don't think Sertan is having a particularly great year, but he knows what he's doing. So (laughs) at least you've got two people back there who kind of sort of know what they're doing. And I'm with you. I thought Moreau played very well yesterday. Now, again, Green Bay does not have great receivers, uh, mainly because uh, the the best receiver they have is the Watson kid, and he's hurt all the time. Right, and then got dinged up at, at points yeah, in that game that's right. as well. That's so, right. you know, that, have they played better? I think they have. I, I think to a certain extent there's a bit of a mirage there. The, look, the Packers yeah, are I bad. So. Yes. I mean, the, put, it, put it this bad. way. The, the headlines out of Green Bay – have been basically if the Packers can't beat the Broncos, who can they be? I mean, that's right. I'm not joking. Well, that was one of the headlines. That's uh, a good question. Yeah, and who so can they be? That's what you're right. talking about. So I mean, let's not let's not go overboard. Um, obviously, you know, it's it's a good situation to get that win, but um, let's see how it goes. You know, let's see if you can let's see if you can hold the Chiefs to 19. More. You're at home, right? Let's see if you can hold the Chiefs to 19 again. Guessing you probably can't, but uh, let's see how that goes. It's good that it's improving. Uh, I thought Baron Browning looked good. I thought the switch Except from, when he was jumping off side. Well, yes. Which, to which he actually also, I would maybe think of that answer, after the game said that uh, he's shooting his shots, trying to time it, went to, because there was only a second left on the clock, so he 
just decided to take off with a second left on the clock, figuring that's that'd just be a way to go. Uh, probably want to have a little better instinct than that, but it but it was good to see uh, Browning back. Obviously, in fact, here here's the quote he said specifically. Uh, quote, I saw one second on the play clock, and I was like, I'm going to take my shot. And he follows it by saying, shoot or shoot, I'm going to take my shot. You win some, you lose some, but I'm not going to change the way you play the game. If you're Von Miller exactly. and, you, and you jump off sides, then what you're doing is putting fear into your other guy going, oh, man, Nobody's he's coming. Afraid when you're Baron, Baron Browning, they're like, hey, that guy's going to jump off sides. Uh, yeah, shoot your shot a little bit later. But it was good to see him back. There was some dynamic... Uh, energy added to that, which is good. The move to, to from Mathis to Moreau, I think, was good. I think the argument you made, I'm not sure that P.J. Locke was any worse than Kareem Jackson. Oh, I thought he was better. And maybe even better, and he's presumably going to be starting against the Chiefs. So that there are some things that I think are improving. I think removing Gregory from the from the rotation, even though he wasn't playing very much, uh, freed up more time Clark. For, for younger guys. And I think you have some younger, hungrier guys, and for the Broncos, they're going to have to... I don't know if the defense is all that much better, Sandy. I really don't think it is. But I would rather see the young guys playing more and seeing what you got because that's where you are if you're the Denver Broncos right now. Uh, it was interesting to me that Mike Purcell played 53% of the snaps mm-hmm. and DJ Jones played 48% of the snaps. I mean, probably one snap when they were both in the game together for some reason, but Purcell played more than DJ Jones. I, I know D.J. Jones has been fighting injuries, and maybe right. that has something to do with it. But uh, I I must say, and, and again, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Purcell is a difference maker. Purcell has played better than I thought he would play. I honestly I didn't think he'd make the team. I'm with you. I wasn't sure he was going to make the team this year, and uh, he, has, he has played rather well, and that, that's a good sign too. So maybe it's just a better... And fit in, in this scheme as it turns out. Now, DJ Jones is a really, really good player, but I think the injury problems have kind of been yeah. problem. Would I issue. like to see Benito play a little more than 62% of the I snaps? I would. I would, too. Sanders more than four snaps in the <laughs> entire game? Yes. And again, on offense, we've been over it. Uh, McLaughlin played on 10 snaps, and Mims played on 18 snaps during the course of the game yesterday. Both have to play more. Uh, I thought Wilson... Played well. I thought, actually, the second half, one of the few occasions this has happened this year, I thought the second half was better than the first half. Well, let's get into that a little bit. first half, he was average. Nothing wrong, but he didn't do a lot right either. And the second half, I thought he was better. But again, the fly in the ointment is they they can't score touchdowns in the red zone. They had one touchdown yesterday and four field goals including one from 52 yards out that eh, you have to give Lutz some credit for that, that even at altitude 52 yarder under pressure, that is not automatic. And he knows if he misses, they lose. Yes, it really does boil down to that, but we'll take a quick peek at, at Russell Wilson. Take a look at a couple other things too, before we head out, we'll do that next on my life sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. All I can say is that my 
Russell Wilson against the Packers in their 1970 win at a QBR of 78.5. We've talked about this multiple times. Passer rating, QBR different. Passer rating basically rewards completion efficiency. Completion percentage becomes kind of the primary thing that it's it's an an older metric designed for avoiding interceptions. Yeah, and designed for slightly different time. A very conservative estimate, so you can. You can play a game where you're reasonably efficient, not throw for very many yards, don't throw a pick, and you get a good passer rate. It's one of the reasons that people are looking for more advanced metrics. The QBR of 78.5, the best of this season. Now, that's a 1 to 100 measurement. 1 to 100 measurement. 78.5 is very, very good. It's really, really good. It is the best he's had as a Denver Bronco last year in the final game of the year against the Chargers. He reached a 60.6. Then against Baltimore in the 10 to 9 loss. He actually got a 67, which was his high. So this was, uh, by some margin, if you look at QBR, the best game of Russell Wilson's career. He went 20 for 29 in Denver for, uh, in Denver for 100. Yes, in Denver uh, for 194 yards, one touchdown, no picks. Ran for another uh, 21 on a you know, kind of a, a canny carry there, and that's all well and good. At the same time, you look at it and think. You went and got Russell Wilson. Now, of course, you know, uh, according to Sean Payton, at least earlier, we heard the sound from Troy Rake that Broncos' history prior to Sean Payton arriving is irrelevant. So yeah. Russell Wilson might as well have been here for the last 10 years of his career as opposed to just the previous year. But this team went and got Russell Wilson, and it's great they got a win. But if Russell Wilson's best game as a Denver Bronco is 194 yards and a touchdown, what sort of offense are you running? And I ask that only partly facetiously, Sandy. Uh, you're running a very conservative like paint-by-the-numbers Trent Dilfer offense. during the Ravens yeah. Super Bowl Well, just don't, just don't mess up, and that seems and maybe to be that's, the way. Is that what's left of Russell Wilson now? At it. Uh, I just don't mess up? I think it's pretty clear they feel, and I, I think, for the most part, they're probably more right than wrong that he can't lift a team. And in endeavoring to play the way he used to play in Seattle during his prime years, he'll make mistakes. But it isn't Russell Wilson who's calling the plays. And I thought yesterday was the first time that they – Stayed with a running game, and why not? Green Bay can't stop the run, and the Broncos were having success with it, so why get away from it? The problem is you can't score a lot of points when you're running the ball more often than you're passing, usually. And it's now, if, unusually if today's NFL, too. five turnovers, you know, it, it, that, that indie game yesterday with Cleveland was a weird game because neither – team was that good offensively but there were so many great uh plays made to turn the ball over i mean miles garrett uh making the the play he did on on the field goal where he literally leaped over his teammates he didn't use teammates as support which would have been a penalty he jumped over i mean not a penalty but, but there, there were a lot right of, of 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 plays and momentum shifts in that game and there were a lot of points, even though the offenses weren't great. And I actually thought the Bronco offense was okay yesterday, but 
you kick four field goals. Only one of them was a long one. And you score one touchdown. And that was on the pass to Sutton, who was open from here to eternity. I mean, there was nobody near him. You have to score more than one or two touchdowns a game. I know scoring is down all over the league. Not I, that far I get down. that. But one touchdown a game, that can't be the norm. The, it, I mean, it feels like you could be the play a little caller, more aggressive the play with Russell Wilson, right? A little more responsibility. I think that is a lot of it. And they do have to be more aggressive in the red zone with their play calls. Russell Wilson, in, and I get it, you know, that feels like forever ago. 78.5, the highest QBR he had as a Bronco. The two years in Seattle prior to coming to Denver, he had 11 games better than that, Sandy. 11 yeah. better than that. Yeah. 11 yeah. better than his very best game as a Bronco. And one of those, was, he was recovering from a broken That's finger be, and still had get better games. Be careful what you wish for. Uh, you know, you get away from Pete Carroll and you think, well, I'll be able to play the way I want to play and the way I've always wanted to play. Careful what you wish for. And specifically with Sean Payton, the coach, he allegedly wanted in Seattle to replace Pete Carroll even before he became the coach here with the recommendation of Russell Wilson last winter. Uh, be careful what you wish for. And I think it's a matter of square peg round hole when it comes to Sean Payton's philosophy of offense and the way Russell Wilson wants to play. I don't think it's a fit. And you were on to that. Uh, along with some other factors pertaining to Sean Payton, yeah. long before most of the rest of us were, yeah. long before blind squirrels and nuts and all that. But the, do you think the the decision has still been made? We were talking last week about maybe the did this push it back that the bye week it might be time to make a change. Yeah, I, I think it probably does. We'll we'll see what Sunday brings. Uh, so for example, if Wilson, if Wilson is actually good, and even though they would, they still lose, but Wilson performs well again. Yeah. Maybe I, they don't. Maybe they don't make a change. Because I think, but Sean I think Payton, after this year, I think Perea oh, is yeah. right. After this year, no, it's uh, they're they're going to make a change. And by the way, uh, all those uh, contract, All the dead money and all the all these all those contract items and, yeah. and deadlines and everything else pertains to twenty five. And I was either not clear or mistaken last week when it was made to sound like it applied to twenty four. The twenty four money is guaranteed. Twenty four right. money is guaranteed as of right now. Th- these are all uh, markers for two thousand twenty five. Right. Right. And I know they don't want to guarantee that. Right. Certainly. And that's, that's, that's the, the last thing they the, want. The to advantage, do. at least by from ownership, if they want to move on, is is the it's expensive, but the cash layout is certainly manageable for this ownership group. Oh, for this ownership group, dead, almost any cash yeah, layout. It's the is dead manageable. money that's the frustration, right. obviously, and they're gonna have to find a way to look at it. But you know, we we will see. Uh turn our attention real by, quick. By before, the way, Sean yeah. Payne, very quickly did receive, according to The Athletic late last week, the dreaded vote of confidence from Greg Penner, who was asked directly by The Athletic about Sean Payton 
and said we're more committed to them than ever. Yeah, they owe way too much money right now. <laughs> even, that's even, what that's what that really means. Yeah, even there's we a limit. We owe them a lot of money. It's Eight, too expensive 18 plus, to four more years after this year, and you have more than half this year still left? Yeah, yeah. way too much. Uh, speaking of money, by the way, the Nuggets will get things going for their season right. tomorrow. But uh, news happens as, as we're doing the show here that uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo gets a new extension from the Bucks. Yeah. One, I'm happy about that because I like seeing guys uh, oh, look staying he's in Milwaukee. He's, he's amazing, but staying in Milwaukee, right? Uh, seeing some of these small and mid market teams like the Nuggets, like the Bucks, starting yes. to Adam Silver's idea of yes. bringing NBA NBA closer to the NFL. Well, they're parity the co favorites, aren't they? They are. Uh, now Boston's right there with them. They are the, basically the co favorites. It's, it's the Bucks and the Nuggets. Oh, the Bucks in the East and the Nuggets in the West. Sixty-two million a year for the next three years. Get yeah. this: Nikola Jokic, an average annual value now under fifty, is seventh. Yeah. Seventh in the league. Pretty good bargain all of a sudden for Nikola Jokic. Uh, And that's the average annual value over the length of his contract. That's the thing. Because the length of his contract is 55. We're talking not even, you know, this year. It's even lower than that. Well, listen. He doesn't care. No. He doesn't play that game. He's made so much money. If I have to top you, uh, and if in five minutes I haven't, uh, I I have topped you, but somebody else has topped me. Then I got to get back on top again. That that's not the way he thinks, and and that's just that's what makes the Nuggets different, yep. and what what makes the Nuggets uh, who they are. And listen, uh, you know Milwaukee's going for it with uh, you know not a lot of depth, loading up with Lillard and Giannis, and on paper it looks great. Uh, I think in practice it will look very good. It will take some of the scoring pressure off Giannis and should make him uh, more uh, able to deal with defensive and rebounding responsibilities. I think he'll be a better all-around player with Lillard there to take up some of the scoring slack. And they have other good players, shooters uh, around him. I think they'll be a real good team. But uh, the Nuggets have the best starting five in the NBA, and that's a pretty good place to start. And they still have the best player in the NBA. That's Jokic, and that's a good place to start. And if you go by the playoff version, they have the best garden in the NBA, and that's a good place to start. One thing I want to add real quickly, we'll have Coach David Carl uh, from DU on with us tomorrow. Terrific college hockey weekend. The Pioneers went back to Providence, uh, played reasonably well, but went one for nine on the power play and lost a 4-3 game to the 10th-ranked team in the country. The next night, they went to Chestnut Hill and played the third-ranked team in the country, Boston College, DU ranked number two going into the weekend. And it was as good a college hockey game as you'll ever see at this time of year. And Denver rallied at Boston College, at County Forum, to win 4-3 in just a great game for a team with 10 freshmen. A lot of new faces on the Pioneers, but they still have nine players left from the 21-22 championship team. They will be back home this weekend for the first time this year. But uh, a good weekend split for the Pioneers, and it's early in the season, so the pairwise rankings get a little bit, you know, a little well, bit. Providence is again. number one. Providence, now yeah. DU. Providence is number one. DU yeah. drops to uh, twenty-one, but we're talking four games well, in. But uh, credit, they won't by the be way, twenty-one. Beat uh, BC be on the road in the long run yeah. will help because of them right, a right lot. now. You know, throw out the pairwise because give Providence credit, but after that is Western Michigan and Arizona State and Miami, and if that's how it finishes, the, I the, will uh, eat my the, proverbial the pairwise. Hat. Rankings don't mean anything until January. No, uh, but it, but it's a good sign, by the way, in the early going for one Colorado College who's unbeaten in their first four. Colorado College well. is good, and Colorado College and DU uh, 
that'll be a real competition for the goal pan this year. It hasn't been in recent years, but the last time they played, CC won one to nothing. Uh, that will not be the last game CC wins against DU, you know, for the next two or three years. CC is good. So keep an ear out for that tomorrow. We'll have Coach David Carl from DU Hockey joining us. Today we had, of course, uh, Dr. Rick Perea from ThinkOne4U.org, as we always do on a mental Monday, getting our checkup from the neck up. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes everything work. We'll be back tomorrow for Sandy Clough. I'm Sean Drotar, but you don't have to leave. You can just keep it right here. You should with My Life Sports. Thank you.